Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Your next storyteller is Laura Bond. Laura's been telling stories at The Narrators since we first got started way back in 2010. It's always a treat when she joins us. In this story, Laura talks about her move to Denver, her years as the music editor of Westward, Denver's all-weekly newspaper, and her brief foray into waiting tables at Satire Lounge on Colfax Avenue. She's a number four on the Enneagram personality test, a thrift store evangelist, and the person with whom I'd most like to share a stack of pancakes at Sam's number three when the pandemic is over. Laura shared this story in front of a live audience at Bumport Theater in August 2019. The theme of the show was Transplant. Okay, new and old, so I got to put on my reading glasses. <laughs> Discovered this is something that happens when you turn 40 and you're a woman, and you also develop like the sudden interest in Robert Redford and like power walking. <laughs> it's been my experience so far. Um, so I'm a transplant. I came here 20 years ago from Arizona when Denver was still pretty shitty. Um, but I say that with affection. There are lots of things I love and miss about that time. Um, and I had no intention of moving to Denver. I had never been to Denver. I didn't know anything about Denver. But one day when I was living in Tucson, I was in my kitchen chopping carrots when I got a call out of the clear blue. And long story short, um, someone I knew had recommended me for a job. Um, and at that time, I was sort of seesawing between school and work. I would go to school for a little while, and then I would get kind of an interesting job, so I would drop out. Um, I worked for a magazine and an indie record label, but both of those went out of business, so back to school I went. Um, and at the time, life was pretty sweet. I was taking like a couple of film and art history classes. I was working for the Campus Arts magazine. I was working part-time at a group home for the seriously mentally ill. It was just like good times. Um, but still, this job was intriguing, and it, it was right at my alley. Um, it was for the position of music editor um, with Westward, which was the weekly in Denver. And I had never heard of it, but, you know, I knew about weeklies. Um, I said, yeah, I was interested in the position. So I, I threw my hat into the ring. Um, and quite unexpectedly, um, about two months later, I found myself in a mid-sized U-Haul driving from Arizona to Denver, um, a city by that point I had visited twice, um, once for the interview, and, and the second time was to find a place to live, which I did near Cheeseman Park, because I think when you move to Denver, you have to live in Cheeseman Park or Capitol Hill. It's like, I don't know if anyone can afford that anymore, but at the time, it was attainable. Um, so my brother, my older brother, drove up with me, and he helped me move in and get settled, and he stayed there with me for about four days. Um, it was over the 4th of July weekend, and we went to Cheeseman Park, and there was fireworks, and then we went down all around Colfax, and we went to all of the bars with, like, the great neon signs, and we were just so, you know, enticed by everything. It was new and different and exciting, and, and we wound up at the Satire Lounge on Colfax. Okay, good. We have some satire people. Um, and that just like hit a sweet spot for both of us. It kind of reminded us of Arizona. They had like bad Mexican food. Uh, I have a photo from that time actually printed out from one of those nights at the satire. I don't particularly remember, but it's like an early era selfie of me with two guys that were basically hobos. And we're just like having the time of our lives. 
So it was a good introduction in Denver. You know, it got off to a good start, but eventually my brother had to leave. Um, and I have a very vivid memory of the night that I drove him to the airport and it was a long time ago. So at that time you could still go up to the gate with somebody as they were departing. And, you know, I went up to the Southwest agent at the counter and like basically pleaded with this woman to let him stay a little longer. Like, could I switch his flight to the next day? Cause I just wasn't ready for him to go. Um, but that wasn't possible. So he had to go and he left. And then I went to get my car and I couldn't find my car. It was like my first, like total rookie DIA error. You know, I didn't know anything. So I had to be driven around in like this little golf cart and I'm like <laughs> crying. And that was my first night alone in Denver. Um, and then I started my job the next day and it was really exciting and it was really terrifying. The person who had the job before me had had it for like 10 years and he knew absolutely everything about everything. He had a list of like 50 people that I should meet within the first month. Um, so you know, very quickly I saw like the enormity of this thing I had done just totally changed and uprooted my whole life. And I saw like the largeness of this position that I had inherited. Um, and I mean, absolutely no disrespect to anybody who works for Westward now. Um, but back then, this was in 1999, it was kind of a different, it had a different place in the sort of cultural landscape of Denver. I mean, this was like, basically pre-internet time. I think I still had an AOL account and it was like not laughable. Um, so, you know, it was like the, there was no Facebook, there was no social people. Everybody looked at Westward for like what to do and what was going on. Everybody read it. It was like really the thing. So, and it was much bigger than it was just like a presence. Um, so, you know, and just coming into it, it was very intimidating because I wasn't like a freak for music. And suddenly I had this music editor position. I remember in my interview for the job, one of the people at the table asked me how many guitar players named Steve I could name. And I froze, but some sort of like, I don't know, guardian angel, like jumped into my throat and just started blurting stuff out. Like Steve Albini, like Steve Van Sant. Uh, and I don't even really know who those guys are, but in that moment I did. Now I do actually, but, um, you know, I just didn't have this encyclopedic musical knowledge. And I thought you probably should in a job like that. And that like sooner or later, that was going to be evident. Um, people definitely had a love hate relationship with Westward. And so they sort of had a love hate relationship with me from the get go. Um, you know, there were people who maybe like weren't thrilled that a young woman had gotten the position. Um, I didn't know anyone yet. I didn't really know anything. I didn't know the contours of the scene or the politics or the players. And I used that somewhat to my advantage. You know, it was an interesting point of view to be writing from. And I just tried to get very like Zen about it and operate from like a beginner mind kind of thing. Um, and a lot of people were very nice. I got invited to a lot of stuff. Um, but then there were also people who were just like mad at me all the time for no reason. Like I would be introduced to people and they would find out what I did for a living and they would just like walk away. Um, I was in a dive bar, one of like at one of those early meetings and I didn't have my ID on me for some reason. And the person that I was with said like, Hey man, you know, you should let her stay. She's the music editor of Westward. And the bartender replied, well, then she definitely fucking has to leave. <laughs> so 
So stuff like that would happen, you know. Um, but there were things that were helpful at the time. Westward was a fun place to be. There was a lot of young writers. We had a charismatic editor who's still there. Um, and there was a lot of alcohol. <laughs> there was alcohol at all of the staff meetings. There were happy hours, like almost every day. Our office at the time was right across the street from the Wincoat Brewery. Um, our boss was such a notorious uh, enthusiast for beer that she actually had a beer named after her at the Wincoop. Um, there were jello shots circulated like every Friday at three. It was almost like company policy that you drink heavily. Um, so like those 50 meetings that I had to have with those 50 people, they all took place at bars and at shows. And I went to a lot of shows and I saw a lot of bands and people bought me a lot of drinks. So that was definitely part of it. Um, and you know, I would go to these shows and then I would, I would write about these bands, but I would get this sort of confusing feedback sometimes from my editors at Westward. Like I went to go see Bob Dylan once and he, at the Fillmore, he's, one of my top artists, maybe the top of all time. And he can be a hit or miss live as some of you may know, but this was like an especially coherent show. <laughs> like the songs sounded like songs and it was, it was cool. So I, I wrote about that and how like great it was to see Bob be Bob. And my editor sent it back to me like, yeah, I don't know. This just seems like a little too nice. Like maybe you could say something about how you're just glad that he didn't die. Which never occurred to me. Um, so it was a confusing time, you know. I didn't, I didn't know how I was doing at the do- at the at the job. Um, I didn't have friends yet, you know. I miss my family. I miss my friends. I was lonely. I was feeling insecure about everything. Like, did I even belong there? Why did I get this job? I was a college dropout. I wasn't mean. My impulse was to write sensitively, but the company voice was a bit snarky um, and I was sort of shy about all these people I was supposed to meet so I lived a couple blocks from the satire um, which is a place you can get a great hamburger steak by the way um, so I started going back there you know like I said it kind of reminded me of Arizona it was a comfortable kind of place all that melted cheese and stuff um, and I got friendly with a the bartender there and one night I made a joke that I wished I had her job it was kind of slow in there, and I just started working the room, you know? All I had to do was take the orders, and I would give it to the actual waitress, and she would take it back to the kitchen, and then the plates would come out by this guy named Joe, who delivers the plates, and he puts them on your table, and he says, have a nice time. So, so that would happen. It was pretty simple, right? Um, but I was spectacularly bad at it, just so bad. You would think that as a person who grew who grew up going to Mexican restaurants basically once a week, I would, you know, have some basic knowledge of how this should go. I had probably eaten tacos a thousand times in my life. Like there should be some imprinted memories in there somewhere, but I didn't. I I grabbed hot plates and I forgot to replenish the salsa. She had me do some prep work, like chopping up lettuce and tomatoes for garnishes and stuff, and I would just like 
chopped into the iceberg and it just like went all over the floor, all over the carpet. So I really sucked like really bad at this, but this woman, for whatever reason, she didn't care. I think she was like really bored of the job or she found it like relatively amusing and the customers didn't really seem to care that much. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a Zagat type rated (laughs) restaurant anyway. So, um, so that first shift was, you know, it was, it was not great. Um, but she said I could come back the next week. So, so I did. Um, and then I went back the week after that. And, you know, when I was in there pretending to be a waitress at the satire, I just didn't think about how I was doing at my other job as the music editor at Westward. I could like sort of push that sort of ever present anxiety, like, to the side and I could focus on being truly bad at something else. (laughs) Um, So the last time I did it, I waited on this group of guys and, you know, I just started chatting with them. And for some reason I revealed my secret. I told them that I didn't really work at the satire, that I worked at Westward. And after a confusing exchange, it turned out I had recently written a review of their band. It wasn't a totally positive review, but they felt that it was fair. Um, And they thought it was good, actually. And one of the guys said that he liked what I was doing uh, with the music section so far. And then one of them said, yo, you should really stick with your day job. You are a terrible waitress. (laughs) (laughs) So I never went back. I would like to say that that moment was some big revelation. But in truth, it was just time to get serious and get into my new life. Um, and so I did, and I did that job for six years, um, and there were great things about it, and I developed my own voice, which definitely did have some snark in it, but also allowed for sensitivity and sweetness. Um, I once got to go backstage at a Little Richard concert, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then I moved on to other things, other jobs, and all of them in some way were intimidating, at, at least at the beginning, and there were still times that that voice would come up and you know, just come infiltrate my brain and accuse me of being some kind of imposter. And it truly wasn't until fairly recently in the last few years that I've learned to tell that voice to just, you know, like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) That the voice is the imposter, actually. And my life today is very different. A big Friday night for me these days is like, going to Vitamin Cottage and getting like an organic sheet mask and going home and watching Queer Eye. (laughs) Right? Um, and I don't hang out at the satire or any bars anymore, and that is okay. Um, the place where I work now is very different from Westward. There are no extended happy hours. We recently had some kind of event, and people like drank like one beer, you know, like in my entire drinking career, I don't think I ever drank one beer and then just <laughs> left, but that's what happens um. So it's been a good natural progression, you know, and I I have a sense of peace in my life. Things are good. Um, But there are moments that I wish I could somehow just like get a line into the head of the young woman that I was 20 years ago and just shake her a little and say, you know, like you do deserve to be here and you don't have to pretend and you don't have to drink jello, you know, (laughs) to trick yourself into believing it. Um, but I can't do that, you know, so I'll say it to any of the young women here tonight that you do deserve whatever big chance you've been given and you earned it and you can do it. And I believe in you.
Thanks. Laura Bond, everyone. So good. Please don't show me how you school me and rule me. Cause I am my own. The sound is my throat. Sit upon it high and reach for the The Narrators is produced by me, Ron Doyle, and Aaron Rollman, with help from Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, Scott Carney, and Sydney Crane. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Illegal Pete's from the Hip Photo and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we'd also like to thank Mama Magnolia, who provided the outro music you're listening to right now. You can find a link to their music in the show notes for this episode. Our live shows take place every third Wednesday of the month. You can find more information about those shows on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at our website, thenarrators.org. Please take a moment to share one of our stories with a friend, hit that subscribe button, or leave a review. Word of mouth is the number one way we can grow as a podcast. We'll be back next Friday with a new episode. Till then, thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs>